Hey guys, welcome to the Cultivate and Keep podcast. Today we have uh, the, the usuals, Corey and Jeremy, and a very special guest, Matthew Miller. Matt, welcome. Hello. Welcome. Thank you. Awesome. Super stoked to be here. Now, um, before I get into a little bit about you, um, you know, I didn't know you, I did not know you existed for the longest time. And then I think I saw you somewhere and I was like, oh, Jeremy Miller's here. And someone was like, no, like that's his brother. And I was <laughs> like, what? Um, but you guys aren't twins, right? We are not. We're not in the shadow. We have answered that question many times in our life. It is crazy how similar you look. Like every time I see, like when you walked in the house today, I was like, oh, Jeremy's here. Oh, wait, no, it's Matt. Like it's just super yeah. confusing every time. We've had youth venture kids who have seen us together for the first time ever and just look at us in shock. Mm-hmm. Like there's two of you. They just thought we were the same person. Always. Uh, hilarious it's like the beginning to some weird movie they're like wait a second what's happening here is <laughs> yeah alternate universe another jeremy has come to see us i That's love fun. when they ask who's older because jeremy is an old man basically he's significantly older than me he's six years older right <laughs> right but uh i'm like all right cool you know, he looks old, but I, I might act older. So that's, that's great. Hmm. Yeah. There that doesn't go. surprise me. Yeah. That makes sense. Sorry, Jeremy, if you're listening to this. <laughs> sorry, not sorry. Um, anyway, Matt is a member of our community at Foothills. Um, he is currently the director of operations at Christian Brothers. And um, his father, Kevin Miller, is one of our sole supporters of our podcast. And, that's right. Shout out to um, Kevin. And he mentioned to me a few months ago, hey, you should have my son on. Like, that'd be great. And I was like, all right, cool. Let's do it. And so I texted him and here we are. So um, welcome, Matthew. We're, we're excited. It's going to be good. That's good. Super excited. I want you guys to commit to something, though. Mm-hmm. Okay. Have him on so he can defend himself later. Okay. <laughs> Will do. I, that'll be... He's on the list. send so him this episode. Here. Yeah, actually, I'm surprised we haven't had both of you on already. We'll send him your episode and say, now it's your turn. Nice. Dude. Rebuttal. We should have had son and father on at the oh, same time. I don't know. That might fun. get messy. Yeah. No, that'd be fun. <laughs> that'd be fun. We'll okay. need a bigger room. But. Yeah. Once we have <laughs> each of you, then we'll get both of you back at some point and uh, that'll make for some real comedy. If I can invite back, I'd be sh- surprised and shocked. <laughs> but, all right. Well, don't mess it up. And okay. Yeah. This is your shot. So, um, well, Matt, I would like to kick off this discussion by first asking you a question. The other day you posted... Um, a rather new uh, meal that you had. I believe it was salted and peppered oranges and bananas. I just want to know how was it and did you eat it all? Wow. Yeah. Um, I ate it all. I ate all of it. I wow. didn't like the plate. There was a lot of excess pepper <laughs> and salt all over the plate. Um, it's pepper, you know, I expected to taste a certain way. The salt was tricky because it surprises you. It's relatively invisible until you consume a large portion of it. Yep. I didn't yep. see the salting happen. Right. Mm. So every bite was just a new surprise. Is this going to be very salty? Oh yeah. Oh, I would not recommend it. That and looked so gross. It yeah. was yeah. gross. Remind me of the story behind that. And did you ever, did you ask her daughter how she came up with that or why? Uh, I was sick. Good? So her explanations are uh, <laughs> off the wall. Yeah. No, she's gotten to the point where she just really likes to make me food to eat. And I started doing keto like three months ago and I kind of stopped recently, but. Um, I did it really strictly for a while mm. it got tough because my daughter would bring me sandwiches <laughs> with very odd things inside and large amounts of ketchup on top. So keto, you know, obviously yeah. ketchup's a no, uh, bread's a no, bread's a no ketchup on bread, not necessarily something that's appetizing <laughs> and tomatoes inside, just tomatoes, <laughs> no sauce or anything. Tomatoes so. and ketchup. It's yeah. very, very strange. So she just got on a kick of, I want to prepare something for my dad to eat. Um, 
my wife makes food in the house and I think she's just joining in and <laughs> and just being ser- a servant you know um my wife so tells cool. her you have a servant heart and when she brings me food she's like mommy says I have a servant heart so <laughs> that's, that's cool well in about four it. years I would expect maybe the food would get a little bit better <laughs> yeah. more uh more edible but uh that's really cool I thought that was so fun I was like wow it's, I've never heard of um a young kid like surprising and especially on her own just making her dad something so yeah it's very very sweet and i uh i i hope she doesn't need much more practice to get better at it <laughs> <laughs> i i have to ask her small questions like you know daddy really likes to salt and pepper his own food so if i can do that next time like i would really be happy smart and then yeah. i'll just eat the tangerines and that's the... like thought out <laughs> yeah 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 don't crush her just incremental requests hmm. salt and pepper on the side on yeah the side. just bring it to me yeah, like in a little a pinch you know just I'll take care of that. My <laughs> bananas, you know, I just like a little different level of salt and pepper That's than so you're funny. used to. That's funny. Makes yeah. sense. Good um, all right. Well, tell us about kind of how you grew up. Want to hear about your family. Um, yeah. Tell us about a little bit about just how you were raised and mm. yeah. So this is a tough one for me because I think generally speaking, I had a complicated upbringing. Um, I think in a nutshell, the thing that complicated is I had two divorces in my family uh, before I graduated high school. So um, my parents got divorced when I was probably like five years old. Kind of hard to pinpoint the exact time for me. Um, my dad remarried and then they got divorced when I was um, uh, in it, like a sophomore. I graduated my sophomore year. So that kind of set the tone for my childhood. Um, a lot of things come with that, I think. Um, just the struggles that come with that with anyone who deals with divorce in their family, um, complicated situation with mom and dad, um, complicated, uh, problems for dad, complicated problems for mom, sort of just leave the kids fending for themselves sometimes. Right. Um, so I feel like when I turned 18, um, I just felt like, man, I made it, (laughs) you know, like I survived it. Um, I remember telling myself when I, when I was 18, all the problems and all the hardships I've had in my life up to this point were I've been subject to from, from, from things that, that weren't really my fault. Mm-hmm. I just remember telling myself, um, I will not be the cause of my own problems from here on out. Like I, it was a conviction. Like I had to, I, I had to like audibly tell myself that, um, I think that's had a lot to do with like where I am today and, and how things have gone since then. But, uh, hmm. you know, I think to, to give people like a little bit of a, a better view of it all. Um, you know, there was addiction. My mom had a lot of struggles with addiction right after uh, my parents got divorced. Um, we lived with my mom and we basically just got taken away from her when I was sixth grade. Um, and we moved in with my dad and my stepmom. Uh, so that was a bit complicated. Did you want to be with your mom or? Oh man. Yeah. Um, I don't think, I was the youngest of four. I was, I don't think I knew what I wanted. Um, I think I was happy because the environment I was in at that time was pretty terrible. Um, I would eat a meal a day maybe and walk to school, walk home from school and and basically had no parental supervision whatsoever. And that was great. Yeah. That was at the end of it with, with her. So it was like kind of a long path to that point. Hmm. It just got worse and worse and worse to the point of the court really couldn't help. So my dad just came and took us, right? 
Mm-hmm. Um, I know that's this. None of this is really like uh, one. It's easy. It's not easy to tell. Uh, two, uh, there's people listening that haven't heard it, mm-hmm. who I know personally. Um, and three, it's just so it's so complicated. You never really hash it all out. Yeah. Um, every time I sit down with my brothers and sisters, there's four of us. You mentioned Jeremy. Mm-hmm. Jeremy's the oldest. Bree is next. Um, she lives in Reading right now. Tiffany's next. She goes to Foothill. She runs the preschool. Mm-hmm. And there's me. I have a younger stepbrother, Rodney. Um, and I have a stepsister, uh, Lauren Howman from my dad's current marriage with Sylvia. Right? Oh, oh yeah, yeah. Didn't yeah. know that. Yeah. So sometimes we sit down and we compare stories of our childhood <laughs> and they do not line up like <laughs> at all. <laughs> um, I think just to, to not go too in detail, but to kind of give people an idea. Um, so we kind of left an, a, a situation of addiction um, and entered into a situation that was good for a time and then got way worse. My stepmom ended up being pretty abusive, um, which, you know, had something to do with it, not working out with my, my dad and mom. But, um, so we kind of just rolled into a new hardship, you know, a new situation that we were just kind of surviving. Um, you'd think with four of us kids, we would, we would be together in it Mm -hmm. and we'd have some unity in it. And it's as far from the truth as this can possibly be. We were all completely alone. My sister Bree didn't end up moving with us. She stayed with my mom. And uh, the other three of us who were with my dad, we we weren't really in unison or together in it. We were just alone in it. It's very weird, hmm. which is one of the reasons why we get together. We talk about it and our stories are entirely different. We all had a similar trend of, man, that was really hard. Like, how did we survive that? But... Um, we didn't like go through it together. Yeah. Went through it separately. Separately. Yeah. 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 It's very, it was very siloing and, and, uh, kind of, uh, just created a, a situation of just being very alone, you know? Mm. Um, so, uh, yeah, I mean, I went, I think one of something that kind of puts into perspective is I went to three elementary schools. I went to three middle schools, um, ended up going to one high school, which is good. I started to gain some sort of semblance of, of normalcy. Right. Um, uh, but it was just, we moved a lot. It was very chaotic. Right. Um, I think that's a good nutshell for that. Yeah. So you talked about like the impact, um, uh, your mom and your stepmom had, but how about like your dad? Like, um, what role did your father play, um, in your life and how, like, how did that affect you as you were being brought up? Yeah. And I think that is the saving grace of the whole situation is that, um, I like to start off with just a little bit about my dad and my dad grew up without a dad. Um, and I think my dad made, um, a really hard, fast commitment at some point in his life that he would not, uh, he would never not play a role in his kid's life. Like he was committed to, to being fully in and completely engaged in being a father. So to his credit, that was very hard with the situations and the marriages and the, the, all the complications. And he fought hard in the, the, um, in court to, to gain, uh, to, uh, whatever it's called custody. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, and he lost, uh, but he, he was an extremely present, strong role model through all of it. Couldn't protect us from it. It's just not, it, it just wasn't possible for him. Um, but, uh, for, for me, uh, one thing I appreciate the most is that he, despite all that chaos, he broke 
the trend in, in fatherlessness in our family. His dad wasn't in his life, and we found out that his dad was adopted, so his dad didn't have um, his father in his life. So, you know, we kind of talk about it every once in a while. We're like, hey, we, you know, m- my son, I have two sons. They have a dad, and they have a grandfather. Hmm. And it's the first time in our family's, you know, I don't know, recent history or in the last few generations that that's been the case. Yeah, it's cool. It means quite a lot to us, and it, yeah. it it has not been easy to make that possible. Yeah, it was the same with my family. My my both my parents came from like divorced families, and um, I don't think my dad's dad knew his father. Um, just so you know, brokenness, and then they like fixed and like, stopped that cycle. And they always talk about like how happy and like fulfilling they are because because of that you know yeah yeah it's such a destructive thing fatherlessness so uh we've been i'm I'm proud that 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 you know we've got i've got a grandfather from my son's you know and it's one of my big goals is just to be a father just period just be present i sort of i have a observation and then kind of a question along with the two but you know it's interesting how uh you mentioned this, you know, history of fatherlessness. And I think a lot of times, I mean, thankfully we kind of pick up on our parents' mistakes and we want to do the opposite. You know, like you said, when you were, when you turned 18, you were like, I am never going to be subject to these kind of, you know, things that affect me in a negative way again. Um, and, uh, you know, your father, Kevin decided I'm going to be, you know, a part of my kids' lives no matter what, but you have to make a choice. I mean, Sometimes you don't. Sometimes you keep repeating the same mistakes. Um, one of the things I was wondering, though, about, too, is, like, it, I'm always kind of curious, you know, with a history of divorce, and, I mean, my parents both have a history of divorce and families and everything, and it's just so kind of ridden. But, like, especially in a with young kids, like, from your perspective, if you can kind of look back, like, what does a kid like you in those kind of circumstances need? You know, I mean, obviously Jesus, right? But more specifically, like, what do you need? Is it, I don't know, comfort? Is it mentorship? Is it help um, financially? You know, like, what do you think that you needed in hmm. particular? Oh, man. There were some basic needs that I needed. Like, <laughs> there was just times where you weren't eating, you know, because yeah. there was just neglect. And so, um, gosh, I, I just, I don't want any kid to have to deal with having parents that are separated. But I, I think the kids don't get attention. I think that the major problem with divorce is um, not having a sense of normalcy, but also just not having attention. Hmm. It's very hard to pay attention to your kid. Well, kids need tons of attention. They just, they need all of your attention. If you can't give it all to them, then you're not giving them everything they want, you know? Hmm. Um, but, uh, when you're dealing with really hardship, crazy hardship in your life, you're just not able to pay the attention to your kids that they need. Right. Yeah. And, uh, I think that's tough because kids develop off, um, bouncing things off their parents and finding out what their boundaries are from their parents. Um, and if they're, if, if the parents distracted with something really hardcore major in their life, they're just not able to do that. Hmm. Yeah. Attention's a big one. I would, would, that's what I was kind of suspecting a little bit, but, Um, and it's good to hear, I think, especially, uh, I mean, parents, even when they're trying to figure out, okay, what does my kid need in this situation? You know, I think a lot of people maybe, or what I've seen is, you know, kind of defaulting to, uh, gifts, you know, or kind of 
freedom, spoiling. Mm-hmm. Um, but really, I mean, a lot of times it's just like, like I said, attention, especially mm-hmm. after some sort of separation and maybe there's some resolution from it. You can't, you have to like divert yourself back to you. Okay. I need to be really intentional with my kids again and try to, uh, you know, get back on the path a little bit. Yeah. I think you made a good point too about, um, like saying, I don't want to repeat a mistake of my parent. So often we, uh, we commit so hardcore to not repeating the mistake of our parents. And then we end up repeating the mistake of our parents. We just do. Mm -hmm. Um, I think it's, it's interesting how often that happens. And, uh, um, in a way my dad almost fell into that trap um, because he was so caught up with his, you know, marriage and his job. I talked, had a really good conversation with a, a, someone the other day, Daniel Hoffman. And we were just talking about being a pastor's son. Cause now I'm a pastor's son. My dad's a pastor. Hmm. It just happened that my dad who wasn't in his life was a pastor hmm. and t- two fathers above that was a pastor too. What? And we just all sort of <laughs> fell into that. Wow. And Jeremy became a pastor before my dad. Right. It just kind of, hmm. it just kind of happened. But, um, I think pastors, kids run into the situation often where the pastor is so focused on mission and calling and their, their, their flock that, um, the kids at home get a little less attention than, than they probably need. Um, so when you have something that you're so called to do and can take all of your attention, sometimes you miss the fact that the simple, the simple thing of paying attention at home is, is there, it's needed and it's absolutely vital. Um, I think it's a trap that pastors fall into a lot and, and mm. I can't speak too much to it. Don't want to say that it's a thing that happens with everyone or all the time or mm. anything, but, um, we all can do that with our jobs. Yeah. Right. Oh yeah. It doesn't matter what job you mm-hmm. have. You could do that. Um, so we should, it's, it's hard to, um, try really, really hard to not do something because you're focused on the thing you're not supposed to do. Mm-hmm. You may end up just falling back in that trap. Um, people do that. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> um, so I got kind of two questions in one to keep us moving, but want to hear about, I uh, want to learn how you came to know the Lord and also want to know like from your past, like how has that affected you like today? Mm. Or, or like, how have you like developed and like worked through some of those like big things you brought up, you know, like yeah. divorce and addiction and neglect and all that yeah, yeah. stuff. Um, I became a Christian. My dad always led us and, and he was always involved and always was, we, we did hop around churches a bit, but, um, uh, we, we were involved. I remember my dad praying with me in the car. We were on our way to his work. I was going to work with him. And it was a long drive. It was probably like an hour. And uh, we were just talking about Jesus. And he asked me, do you want to uh, do you want to accept Jesus into your heart? And he prayed with me. And I'd seen my dad do it with other people. My dad's always been very evangel- evangelical. And, and he's he's led a lot of people to the Lord. And I think I've seen it before. And I knew kind of what to expect. But he asked me if I wanted to. And we prayed in the car. It was really powerful. I remember going home. My name's Matthew. So I opened the Bible to Matthew. This is what like a kid's logic is. And I was like, I'm nine years old. So I'm going to go to chapter nine and it's September. So I'm going to go to verse nine. And, uh, the verse was Jesus calling Matthew, the tax collector to follow him. And it was like, boom, like a, just a bomb dropped on me. Right. 
um, I just thought that was like such a big deal. And it, it, I remember to this day that it was September and I was nine when it happened. Um, very likely that my dad was reading that because of my age and the month it was <laughs> and him doing his devotional possible. I asked him a few years later or not, not a few years after nine, but I don't know when it was when I was adult and he's like, no, 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 I don't think so. I don't think I was reading Matthew when I, when we, when we prayed together, but I don't know. So that was special. Um, I think, um, I, I really re-engaged Jesus when I started doing youth venture, I turned 18 and I started doing youth venture and I realized that there's all these kids who are going through the same stuff I went through when Mm -hmm. I was a kid and now I can be used to help them through a difficult time. And uh, it's interesting because I don't even think I really told a lot of the kids that I led and, and mentored with uh, all the things I went through. I think it was more just focused on them, but uh, it, it just equipped me, you know? So uh, I don't know. I've been hooked ever since. Hmm. Hmm. How do you start doing, or why did you start doing youth venture in the first place? I just followed my brother there. He uh, just took me and I think I walked in the door and I was wearing a hat and some kid took my hat and ran off with it. And uh, <laughs> I guess still, I'm stuck here. Still looking for that kid <laughs> with my hat. I don't think I caught him. That's the only reason why you go back. You're like, oh, I want to find that kid. I'm going to get that kid. I'm, I'm going to get him out and follow him home. Yeah. Um, yeah. That's how you get, you know, introduced to youth ventures. Some kid just like pulls a prank on you and roughhouses you fights with you, you know? Um, yeah, I just had nothing else to do right when I turned 18. Um, you know, something about my past is that, uh, I moved around a lot. I had a lot of inconsistency in my life, but I went to one high school. So in high school, I found a lot of awesome things to engage in and distract myself with. And I was all in on a lot of stuff. I did ASB. I did a uh, student. Uh, what office, school was it? Uh, Grossmont high school. Grossmont. I played water polo. I did swim. I did. I ran a club. Like I just needed stuff to keep me at school, mm-hmm. so I didn't have to go home. Mm-hmm. But then high school ended, and it was like, oh man, all this normalcy and all this like stuff I had going on. It's just came to a dead halt, and I I didn't have a whole lot of plans. I, I had applied to one college, SSU, got accepted, and uh, I showed up to Venture one day with my brother, and that's how I spent the next eight years of my life. Mm-hmm. That's how I spent eight years for college and 15 years for youth venture. Are you still doing youth venture? I'm not doing a shift after my second kid. I kind of went on a hiatus yeah. of with shifts, but I've always been involved with um, supporting them with uh, this, this application we wrote for them for checking kids in and stuff. So oh, cool. Cool. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. I'm interested, you know, so uh, graduate, you know, you're in youth venture in college. You said uh, eight years of college. Mm-hmm. Um, curious kind of, why you're not uh, calling me Dr. Matt? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Partly, yes. Um, but also, I mean, you, we're involved in a bunch of things, but um, I don't know. When did you feel like you discovered or kind of felt like you knew what you wanted to do, your strengths, your gifts, talents, yeah. um, and kind of you know how that evolved to uh, where it's gotten you to today? Yeah, um, I still don't think I, I know what my gifts and my talents are exactly, but uh, <laughs> I... You know, I didn't know what I want to do when I went to college. I think on the application, it asked, what are you interested in? And I put computer science. And the next thing I know, I'm a computer science major. Mm -hmm. I did not understand that that question meant that I was going to be that major. (laughs) Okay. Um, 
I, I went to SCCU because this is what I could afford. And, um, my dad helped with the first few semesters and I, I paid for the rest. And, um, so I started as a computer science. I want to switch to business, switch to business. Um, then I switched to political science and, uh, I didn't know what I wanted to do. So I was not in a rush to finish college. I also had to pay for it. So I was working full time, hmm. just kind of landed a job near SDSU. It was in a print shop and I worked there for six years. Um, I would, people always ask and you didn't, but you're, everybody's thinking it. Why the heck did it take you eight years to graduate college? <laughs> I got a four year degree in eight years. So, so my dad, I didn't really blink an eye when you said eight years. Um, and I realized that after, but because my dad took 13 years to, to get a four year degree. And so I just think that's funny. I the always only make thing, fun of him for that. The only thing smarter than eight years for a four degree is 13. <laughs> I highly recommend taking that long. Like, but I mean, he was absolutely. working like 80 hours a week, had a starting yeah. family, you know, his business. So yeah, there's reasons behind that, like similar to you, but Good still reasons. funny. Yeah. Yeah. So I would, I would go for a part-time semester cause that's what I could afford. And then I would take a semester off to earn money for the next part-time semester I could mm. take. You know, I did a little hiatus a, a year. I took leave of absence. I went to Grossmont college and try to take courses for a little cheaper you could only take a leave of absence for a year and it couldn't be consecutive so you i'd take six months off and then i'd go back six months later and then i'd take a year off and i'd go back for a semester you know i just had to play the game and play the system I that's almost, creative i almost ran out of money many times i got multiple incompletes multiple f's uh i got one what was it called? An, a non-complete, an NC. And mm. so hard to get that off my record. <laughs> it was just complicated. I just made it as complicated as possible, I guess. But um, I was working full time the whole time. And during that time, I was really involved with youth venture. I was really involved with Foothills. I had, there was a point in time where I had two venture shifts, two higher ground clubs, a high school group, a junior high group, and I was involved with a home group where I was kind of like assisting running it a little bit, but I wasn't actually running it. And uh, Mark Hoffman sat down with me. He's like, I want you to be an intern at the church. And I was like, okay. He's like, I can't afford you yet. And I, I don't have the funds for it yet, but, but I want you to be that. So six months later, he, he comes and he's like, I went to the board. I talked to the board. I, I convinced them to, to allocate the funds basically to, to hire you on. And we talked details and he's like, yeah, you need to quit your job. I'm like, I don't want to quit my job. And I'm, I'm like, I, I already do more than all the other interns you have on staff. <laughs> He's like, no, you got to quit your job. And at the time I could not verbalize it at all, but I didn't want to quit my job. Um, I liked being in, um, a secular environment. I liked being around non-Christians. I liked the impact I could have. And I thought there was opportunity there. And I remember trying to explain to him that I, th I saw opportunity there, but it was a very interesting pivotal point in my life because my dad's a pastor. I know that there's this lineage of pastors. My brother was a pastor and I was really involved and I loved it. I loved, I loved the ministry. Um, but I had to make a choice to turn him down. He did not like it. He was very surprised by that. And, uh, I don't think I was able to actually verbalize it or not, but I decided to, I decided to stay in like the, I don't know, um, non-church workforce, right? <laughs> Private. They call it private, private sector. sector? No, okay. I don't know. Private yeah. sector people never really call it that, <laughs> but yes, private sector. Um, 
so yeah, I, it took eight. I, I, I forget, uh, what I was supposed to, uh, get to with that, but I, I took eight years of college. I graduated with a political science degree with a ton of business classes and a handful of programming classes, just kind of all over the place. Mm-hmm. Um, by the end of it, I loved it. By the end of it, I did really well. I was getting straight A's and A's and tests and, um, took me a long time to figure out how to do college. It, it really, really did, especially yeah. with all the distractions in my life. Hmm. I wouldn't have finished it at all if it wasn't for advice Nancy Matthews gave me. Um, some people who listen to this might know her, but she's uh, my, my best friend's mom. She's like, she sat me down one day. And she's like, Matt, your priorities are messed up. It was when I was trying to decide if I should do this internship with the church or not. She's like, at this point in your life, as a young adult, you're in college, your priorities need to be God, school, work, then ministry. You're going to have a time in your life when you're equipped to do ministry and be effective in it, but you're not prepared yet. You, mm-hmm. you got to put a focus and an emphasis on school. And I asked her before I came and did this because that was a very impactful like piece of advice she gave me. I was like, did you put work before school or was it school <laughs> then work? At the time, I was paying for school. And I can't remember exactly. She thinks school than work, but she mentioned, she's like, but if you're paying for it, you know, work would have had to be a priority so you could Mm -hmm. actually go to school. So uh, a huge pivotal time in my life. And I think sometimes you need someone to sit you down and make it as simple and clear as that. um, Hmm. Get your priorities straight. I think that's interesting because I don't know about how you feel, Corey, but I feel like in our circle, like we are often like, told differently like i you know i felt like for me like because i think we've all been that same spot to where like uh i can relate there was a point in my life where i was you know having two high school groups and a home group and worship team on every other day of the week all these different things right and like ministry was my life it was like uh work and ministry like tied and then like everything below that and um it was weird like finally like i'm still involved in ministries but i'm way less than i once was and that transition, like breaking off was like weird and hard. I kind of felt like a lot of people didn't understand. And it wasn't like, um, like in my mind, I think I would agree with your mindset and like the order in which you place those. But I feel like most people that I'm around would not agree with that. Kind of my thoughts in a nutshell. Yeah, I think so. I think that was actually, uh, you know, this podcast isn't about uh, me today, but the kind of a similar experience where I was like, um, tacking on more and more things mm-hmm. and felt kind of obligation to do more and more. And then it's got to a point where I was like, okay, that, I mean, I don't have any more time in my day. I don't, I can't like fit any more like jobs into my like responsibility. And it was really probably when I was getting more serious with Monique and wanted to, uh, you know, propose and get engaged that I was kind of like, wait a second, I think I need to like reprioritize here <laughs> because um, all I'm doing is spending my time in ministry. And I was also, I mean, I was an intern at the church, so it was part of my job as well, but I knew that I wasn't ultimately what I wanted to do. Mm-hmm. And so if I really wanted to prioritize my marriage and God, I actually needed to let go of ministry in a weird way. Yeah. Um, but I don't think I knew that even at the time. And it was, uh, talking with Danny Esslinger and it was probably talking with you and, um, a few other people that I realized like, yeah, actually, you know, there's, times and seasons for this. Like you mm-hmm. can't do everything all at once all the time. You yeah. Know? Yeah. I remember yeah. thinking like, cause I loved it. Like I loved being so heavily involved. And I remember thinking like when this changes, I'm going to be really sad. And when it naturally changed, it kind of just felt right. You know, it was like, Oh, th- like now is, like that was the season. And this is like a new season kind of, you know, have a graduation <laughs> to just a new, a yeah. new time of life, yeah. you know? Yeah. 
I imagine some people that listen to this are making that transition or Mm -hmm. they're on one side of that or the other kind of just naturally. Yeah. And it's a good, like, I'm happy. I spent so much time doing ministry when I was that age. Mm -hmm. It defined who I am and it, it helped me launch into a really healthy next phase of my life for sure. But it's, it's hard to let go and change your priorities when you just have to, Mm -hmm. because you won't graduate that time of your life if you're not able to change that, your mindset. You know, you're preparing for something. How are you going to get to that next thing if yeah. you don't finish, do your preparation right and actually complete? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Did you guys go to college? We both did. Yeah. Yeah. So mm-hmm. I, I did two years at Grossmont yeah. and a little bit of Quimaca. And then I was going to transfer to STSU and randomly through a suggestion was like, hey, why don't you apply to Senior Christian College? And ended up getting accepted and got a really great scholarship that they only hand out to a few people every year, about 15 people every year, and uh, was able to go there for free. And so I was like, well, if I can go to a Christian school for free rather than uh, SDSU on scholarship close to free, yeah. I might as well go to the Christian school. And so yeah. did two more years there and graduated. You dodged a lot of bullets then. That's, yeah. yeah. <laughs> really <laughs> thankful for that at the end yeah. of the day. Yeah. It's some challenges in life you just don't need. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you just you just don't need them. Yeah, and yeah, then this I, guy did yeah. everything. Yeah, I I chose a pretty unconventional route. I uh, worked full time, and then I tested out uh, tested out of about like seventy five percent of all my classes, so I didn't have to take the actual you know semester long courses. So I used uh, CLEP exams and DSST exams, which I'm not sure if you've heard of those, but um, you can take them at like SDSU or SDCC, and so that's what I did. So. I like found a program that basically like guided me through like which credits I need, needed to earn. And then I would go to like SDSU and basically I would study beforehand and go take a test. And um, they were like pass or fail tests. So no grade. Um, you had to hit like a certain mark or higher. And so it was very often I would get like, you know, the bottom score was like a 70. I'd get like a 71, like most of the time. Like just mm-hmm. the I bare- love hearing those stories. <laughs> You'd be like, dude, you'll never believe I would call him the like, score bro, I got today. Because like, they were like these timed exams. It'd be yeah. like. And some of them were, were wild. They were like 160 questions in 90 minutes. And there were so many times when there's like 10 seconds left. I'm like, oh, crap, I have 15 questions. And just like pick random ones. And I would pass by one point. And yeah. I was like, it was the best feeling. It anyway. sounds like you hacked college, and which is an <laughs> You should have a badge for that or a trophy. I mean, something. It, no, I don't think anyone's done it that way that I know of. Um, Successfully. But yeah, it was weird. But then the last like year, basically, I went online to a college which was super easy yeah but um but yeah it was a fun experience That's i cool. want to ask you actually um kind of is on our notes but like, what, are, what are your thoughts on college like what would you say about like yeah. how are you if at all are you using your degree today in your current work and, and yeah yeah um i think college is really awesome it was awesome for me because it defined it defined a beginning and an end to a season of life um and 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 finishing it is really good to turn a corner and go, okay, mm-hmm. now, now what do I spend my time doing? Um, I, uh, I learned a lot through college, just, uh, learning how to survive it and learning how to navigate it and knowing how to, um, to meet the demands of, of, you know, a professor and to manage your time well and to, you know, all sorts of just, I would say you just get life skills, mm-hmm. you know, as a consequence. But, um, really hard for me to recommend it to people today. I don't know how many people are able to work and go and survive. We're in California. So I, I'm just assuming we're talking about surviving the mm-hmm. economy of California right now. Um, it's expensive yeah. and it's tough. Um, 
since I've spent a lot of time being an IT person, I would talk to people about how to get into IT and I would tell them, you can go to college, you get four year degree, you could take certifications or you could get in entry level and just start building experience and, and, and doing it from there. Those are kind of three options. You can mix and match a little bit too. Mm-hmm. But uh, I, I never have been willing to take a, a, a huge loan for college. And, and I just can't stomach that. And I never, I never have had the stomach for that. So, um, I imagine today it's, it's, it's an even bigger hardship mm-hmm. than it was when I started a long time ago. Uh, college was a lot cheaper at SDSU specifically. SDSU has gone up in price quite a bit. Um, I, for me, when I take that, when I, when I sit there and if I haven't gone to college yet and I'm thinking, okay, where do I go? I went to the cheapest place. I just, that's just what I did. Mm-hmm. Um, it'd be, can I afford this? How much money should I borrow to do this? And then how high are my odds to pay this loan off, you know, with the job that I get? Mm-hmm. I graduated college at a time when there was no jobs. It was right after the economy crashed in 2007, 2008. Right. So a lot of people borrowed a lot of money and then there was no job for them at all. Mm-hmm. So, um, if you're like me and you just don't know what you want to do when you're in college and you don't end up using your degree specifically for what you, you got, um, how could I advise young kids and make it such a huge choice like that and bite off such a huge amount of debt? Mm-hmm. I'm on the fence about that. I, I, I think it's gotta be pretty individual and it's a hard knock life for the younger guys right now. Yeah. 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 I mean, I, I've been thinking more recently, um, this will kind of date the podcast a bit, but you know, people going back to school and now they're saying, you know, there's all universities are going to be online. I think especially in the CSU system, um, going back in fall and it's like, okay, cool. You're going to pay, you know, 30, 40, 60 grand a year to take online classes. Like, you know, come on. I, I think that there's some better options out there. Yeah. And like you said, I think it's just becoming harder and harder to recommend it when it seems like the odds kind of keep getting stacked, uh, worse against you. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. I, I think, uh, something that was on my mind as I was thinking about doing this with you guys is just young guys, um, and what they're handling and struggling with. So I, I'm jumping the gun on you, but, uh, (laughs) you know, they see older guys and they, they see their success and they see where they've gotten in life and they think, okay, if I'm going to get there, how do I do it? Mm -hmm. And they look at how they got there. That will not work for them. And I don't know if that's always been how the world's worked or if things have gotten harder in that way for younger guys nowadays, where it's like, you're not going to go to college and get the job that that guy got. And then be in that same job for as long as he's been in it and have the success he has. It's just maybe a different path. Yeah. I'm glad you brought that up. I mean, I think we talk about this a lot, but uh, when I was like finishing high school, I remember like, like meeting with a bunch of like older people and asking all those questions and wanting advice. Like I, I wanted to know the formula. I wanted to know like, I would tell them, hey, like, I'm willing to work. Like, I'll do what I have to do. Just, like, tell me, like, what to do so I can be, like, where you are. And, like, everyone would always kind of say, like, oh, I can't really tell you. Like, it, you know, it's kind of different for you. And everyone is different. Like, blah, blah, blah. And I never really, really understood that until, like, the last year. I was kind of, like, I've seen, like, oh, yeah. Like, it is different for everyone. Like, it's not some formula you can follow. And I think, like, like kind of what you're referring to, even now, like, how things are changing, like, even more so, you know. So. And you're lucky that you didn't run into someone who said, Oh, I know exactly yeah, how do to it do this it. Way. Follow this yeah. equation. Yeah. Cause they'd be dead wrong. Yeah. You know, everybody, they think that their equation worked out mm-hmm. and they think they did things intentionally. There's just, mm-hmm. 
one, our memory is not very good when it comes to our own past. And <laughs> two, uh, it, it, it just, there's no way it'll play out the same way mm-hmm. for everyone. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's the whole survivorship bias kind of, you know, everyone wants to tell about their success and then, but they have a biased view of how they got there and they think, Oh, this works for everyone. Cause it worked for me, but that's not the case. Yeah. And, you know, even something I've been thinking about more about is, uh, you know, in the Bible, God tells us, you know, do not worry about tomorrow for today has his own worries. And I think that's more applicable, uh, or it's applicable in more ways than we know. You know, it's like, you don't know what life career, you know, the economy, this country is going to be like tomorrow, 10 years from now, 20 years from now. So, so don't try to figure out the formula, you know, yeah, just be here, be now, listen, uh, um, you know, be a steward of how God is leading you and, uh, and the input that you're getting from other people, like you said, I mean, someone could think that they have it all figured out and tell you, Oh, you should go doing this. And I know a guy and here's how it worked for him and worked for me, but it could be completely wrong. Yeah. Yeah. Take it all with a grain of salt. Absolutely. Yeah. Um, I want to jump ahead and kind of stay on this track that we're on. We'll go back to touch those questions that we skipped, but, um, I wanted to ask you, since we're kind of on this, what would you, like, what advice would you have for like a young dude that's kind of trying to find their way and, um, yep, flip those pages. <laughs> yeah. Like, what would you say to someone like Gosh. that, you know, maybe they're willing to work, you know, maybe they're not yeah. lazy, but they just don't know like where to start, what to do. Like, what would you say? Yeah, I think, um, I think that's one of the harder questions for me because, um, because it is different for everyone, but I think one of the things that that people sometimes don't know is that no job can be beneath you. You you have to um, pay attention and uh, and be excellent at, at the task in front of you. Um, when I started working at the print shop, which was one of my first jobs, there's a time when someone needs to sit at a table and collate paper for like two or three hours. Hmm. You've got seven different color pieces of paper and you need to put them in a new stack and alternate the colors. You know, it's so boring. How many paper cuts did you uh, stand? So many paper cuts. <laughs> yeah. Are there like special gloves you wear? Like, no, you nope. just, you just endure the pain. Dang, man. Dude. Yeah. That's <laughs> where you earn your stripes on your fingers. Yep. Yep. <laughs> But man, it is boring work and it is mundane and it takes zero intelligence. And, uh, but I remember thinking, man, I think I'm the best collator. I, I think <laughs> I've mastered this collation. And someone funny. sits down next to you, they start collating. You're like, I'm, I'm run circles around your collating. <laughs> I, I got this. You know? That's funny. But there's just a lot of jobs that you pick up and you do. And, um, I, I sometimes see with young guys, like they just don't think the job they're doing is important and they are not putting the effort into being excellent in it. So um, I think that just being excellent at what's right in front of you is, is really, really important. Um, so another thing is just kind of, I would, I want, I think make a point about culture. I think it's really important to work hard. It's really part important to be as, as intelligent as you could be. So always be learning and always be growing and, um, investigating and be curious. Um, but in hiring, we're always looking for people who are hungry, humble, and smart. Humble, right? Not being arrogant. Pretty simple. Uh, it can be more complicated than that. But um, be hungry. Be really driven. And be willing to work really hard. And be smart. And, and smart is the one that takes a little explanation, I think, because we think, oh, be, be intelligent, right? Be really smart. Um, in this context, that's not the case at all. It, it has to do with being people smart right? Knowing who you're talking to, 
knowing the impact of your words on another person. Um, that's how Patrick Lencioni kind of uh, guides that. He's a, an author and uh, he coaches businesses and CEOs and executives. Um, so be hungry, be humble, be smart. There's another guy, uh, Jordan Peterson, who says two greatest indicators of success for people is intelligence and conscientiousness. It's kind of another way to say kind of the same thing. If you're conscientious, you're thinking about the impact you have on someone else and you're conscientious about working hard and doing a good job. Um, and intelligence plays out in a lot of different ways. Um, he says that a, a, an indicator that is counter to success is someone who is just agreeable. They just kind of nod their head and go, yes, yes, what you think, right? Um, whatever you think. Um, it's not healthy to be disagreeable all the time but it's really far worse to be agreeable all the time. I think people speaking up, having a voice, being able to voice their discontent or, you know, when they don't agree with something that's going on around them is probably one of the most valuable things that people do not have in the workplace. Hmm. That's, that's really interesting. I, it's a little bit of a tangent, but um, I was reading pretty recently about uh, how like sort of the upbringing actually it might have even been by jordan peterson i could be wrong but uh he was talking about how a lot of the factors that um you know they do those studies of like okay we're going to follow these kids for 20 years or 30 years 50 years whatever and like see how they develop and based on kind of their circumstances or whatever data points we have available kind of figure out what it is that got them or what was like the difference um oh it was the outliers by uh, malcolm gladwell okay cool and that, that's a book that I love. Yes. And Gosh, I love it. And I love his podcast. Yes. I don't want to plug it. This is the only podcast people should listen to. But. <laughs> Not okay, at all. Fine. If, you are welcome back. <laughs> all right. uh, but he talks about how one of the things that actually um, sets parts of kids, whether they're not, whether or not they're successful in life, isn't really their upbringing, but it's more about like the culture of their upbringing. So not whether or not they were uh, smart or dumb, if they were, poor or rich, whether they went to certain schools, it's more about, did they learn to speak out for themselves? Did, did they learn to kind of, uh, be hungry internally and, and have a, a hunger for, for learning and for learning about other people and for connecting with other people? Did they figure out how to kind of weave themselves into the right circles and to push themselves outside of their comfort zone to the things that they were actually curious about? Mm -hmm. And those were the things that set them apart. Like I said, it, it's yeah. not really like uh, the formula, the circumstance, but it's more those character traits of what really, especially over a long period of time, helps people uh, get to where they want to be and become, quote unquote, successful. Yeah. Yeah. And he does a really great job with outliers. I, you know, he talks about, you know, I've read a few of his books and I blur the lines between which one I, I got it from. But he, he talks about the, the, the guy who became a really good attorney. Um, and he was dyslexic, right? And That's he, right. he learned such great skills and he had such outstanding strengths because he was overcompensating for uh, something that, that was as, as damaging as being dyslexic and being a lawyer and needing to read a lot. Mm -hmm. um, sometimes the pressure and the hardships of our life can, um, can build up other strengths, leave us weak in some ways, but, but help us mm -hmm. build strengths in other ways and also push us out of those comfort zones. Um, make us comfortable with being uncomfortable. I think people are very much too interested in staying comfortable. 
you know, uh, that there's a theme about that. Um, if you're going to be a disagreeable person, that means you're going to speak up and you're going to say, I don't, I don't agree with this. And I know that's going to offend you or hurt your feelings, but I'm going to tell you, I don't agree. And you got to be able to justify it and back it up and have a good reason for saying it. Um, another way that we're really uncomfortable in the workplace nowadays is this idea that vulnerability is not a weakness. Um, there's this, this old idea in, in business that a lot of people, um, that are older, they believe in being the mad dog, right. And just kind of bulldozing your way through the situation and, uh, kind of just, uh, crushing people. And, um, I could describe it better with a, a wider vernacular, <laughs> but you know, just bulldozing people. Um, but nowadays I think that people are accepting that vulnerability is not a weakness and vulnerability is actually a strength in business. And if you're going to trust somebody, you're going to need to be capable of being vulnerable with a person and, and them vulnerable with you. Mm-hmm. And, and sometimes that plays out with showing a person care and it, it, it just opens you up to criticism and it opens you up to, um, to them just kind of understanding you better. But, um, nobody's comfortable. If you're doing it right, you're not comfortable being vulnerable. It's uncomfortable. Yeah. Right. So, um, I do think that just if life makes you uncomfortable in your childhood and your upbringing and things like that, you, you, you've got something going for you, hmm. right? You've learned, you've learned a valuable skill. Yeah. Yeah. It's yeah. interesting. Um, I'll just add one more kind of personal antidote to that, which is, I, I feel like I can kind of now, of course, hindsight's always twenty twenty, but, um, one of the maybe pivotal moments I feel like in, in my kind of career development and also just, you know, finding out who I am was, uh, one of my first jobs, um, out of college, uh, or it was my first job out of college. I had this boss who was very kind of, like you said, traditional culture of kind of bulldozing and, um, and he was sort of like a mentor figure to me. And over time, it, some of the things he said kind of didn't sit right with me a little bit. And, you know, I was always very agreeable, very, okay, I'm just going to, whatever you say. And I'm going to just, you know, even if I thought it was kind of questionable, just kind of go with it. And finally he says something to me that I just couldn't do. And he just said, you know, never basically his exact words were never admit that you don't know something. Mm. And I just thought, I don't know where I'd be right now if I never admitted that I didn't know something like I wouldn't even be sitting here and I disagreed with him for the first time. And that was kind of like the split of our relationship. And, um, but it was where I felt like, okay, I, I'm now going to take ownership for who I am and what I can do and my opinions. And he ended up getting fired. So <laughs> it didn't, <laughs> didn't negatively affect me. Um, yeah, but once you learn how to do that, it's very liberating, you know, where you can finally say, uh, you know, I, I don't agree. And you're, you're comfortable with being uncomfortable. And you're, you're comfortable with the outcome of what that, uh, what that means for you. Cause that could have meant that that's just not the right place for you anymore. Right. Yeah. Um, because you were kind of at that point owning your, um, your future there, you're owning your outcome. You're owning, is this the right place for me to be? And is there growth here? Am I going to grow here? Am I going to have something to, to gain being here? And uh, by disagreeing, you are no longer on someone else's treadmill or uh, escalator right. or one of those flat ones at the airport. What are they called? Uh, <laughs> I want a visual because people can't see my hand motions. Um, <laughs> but now you're, you're creating your own path. You are then kind of dictating your own future. And that's, that's a scary place to be. 
Um, yeah. I wanted to ask, um, this might be a weird question, but I'm curious like where these thoughts come from because you um, like you seem to know pretty well like what you think in these areas. And you, in a few of like, the points you've like mentioned, like, um, you know, uh, don't be agreeable when you don't agree and, uh, you know, be hungry, humble, smart, like just like these thought processes that you have. Like I'm yeah. curious like where they come from. It's a book yeah. that influences is it your friend groups. Um, yeah. I think lately, yeah, books. Um, I think it's good to point out though that I started to really think this way um, at my past company. Um, I worked at a company called Graphic Business Solutions. So I guess I'll, I'll give you a little tiny bit of my work history. So I was going to ask that next. So you perfect. kind of follow the train. Yeah. Um, worked for six years at a print shop while I was in college. Um, learned a lot. My boss was um, off, the, off the map sometimes doing his own thing. And I got to really run the shop. And it was great growing experience. I then learned a lot of IT and I had a lot of people asking me to do IT work. So I started my own company and I started doing just kind of baseline IT work for, for small businesses. There was a time around that time where a lot of companies and industries, uh, needed IT for the first time, like a print shop never needed IT. And then one day they're like, Oh my gosh, people bring us digital files. We need IT. Um, I did that for a time and I'm going to expedite this because I think I've dodged a few of your questions accidentally. I'm going to try to stay to stick to it. Um, I ran my own company for a while and, and I did it while in college and then I uh, got married. I wanted to have something a little more substantial, something that I could grow from. And I, I took a job running IT at a slightly larger company, Graphic Business Solutions. So I joined that company um, when it was about a $4 million company and I left when it was about a $20 million company. And after a short time there, in the very beginning, my boss. How many asked shares me, did you have? I had zero. Oh, yeah. Bummer. We did profit share, oh, cool. so I made money off the That's profit. Cool. I just didn't get. Did to you take like it that? With me. Yeah, I liked it. Yeah, cool. um, it was lucrative. I loved it. More of it would have been even better. <laughs> yeah. That's cool. No, it was cool though. It was a good model. It was because it incentivized me to make an impact, and I did. Um, so my boss asked me to be on what he called the strategic or the strategy team. It was like a little like pseudo leadership team where he cherry picked people from different levels and areas of the company. And there was like four or five of us. And he thought that we were like culturally fit people um, for the company. And he had created a cultural statement and a mission, vision, values for the company. And we sort of focused on that in this group. I remember there was like an impactful time when uh, he goes, okay, these are our values we're going to test each other anonymously. We're going to rate each other, score each other, and we're going to give it to our, our H per, our person. And they're going to give us the results anonymously. And, uh, I got like the highest score rated by my peers. And I w thought that was great. And, um, so I really focused on culture when I was there, we were trying to create a culture while growing this company rapidly from four to $20 million. Um, we were trying to focus on having a culture that we, we cared about and people who we, uh, could grow into that culture. And, you know, I started asking all these questions about how do you do that? And, um, I think a lot of people think that that happens on its own. It does not, not even close. It, it, it will happen on its own for a short time and then it won't, and it'll go a totally different direction. Um, it's, it's just not a natural thing. I think to develop, you need to be really intentional about it. So I read some books there. I talked a lot about it with my boss. I got introduced to like Patrick Lanchoni, which I mentioned. Um, and then, you know, recently I moved into Christian brothers 
and I'm no longer doing IT and now I'm doing a, a, a totally different role, which is largely HR. And it's very focused on how do we, how do we cultivate this culture in our company? And um, they had a great culture when I came. I hope now that I could say that we have an even better culture and we're even more focused and we're being more intentional about it. Um, so I've, I've, I've done a lot of it on my own and I've done a lot of it through it being an importance of what I'm doing at the company I'm at. Um, so I think I carried it over. You know, I brought some things with me from one company to another. And um, when it's a core role that you have, you just need to, you need to learn about it. So I, I am responsible for hiring and firing. And both of those things are extremely important to maintaining a culture. And uh, you need a way to, to measure, you know, what's, what success look like and, and what's, it, how do I measure if this person is, is failing or succeeding at this ethereal thing called culture, right? It's like, it's an intangible, right? Um, so it's mostly from that, I think, just from reading. And I think the two people that have influenced me quite a bit lately is Patrick Lencioni and uh, Jordan Peterson. Um, mostly his, his YouTube and his pod, not his podcast. Does he have a podcast? Don't Does listen he? to it. <laughs> no, I'm just kidding. <laughs> yeah. Do you guys like that? I'm creating this like arbitrary competition between oh, yeah, you I do. and I love great. phenomenal yeah. podcasters. Yeah. <laughs> just equal playing field. <laughs> That's where we want to be, right? You always strive for the next thing. Yeah. Now we've got a few more levels we need to hit. Um, I, I do want to, I want to keep skipping around a little bit, but yeah, I, I feel like it's the right time to ask. I mean, how do you, think about how your faith plays into your work, your career, uh, culture. Yeah. I mean, the way that you work as well. It, no, it's, I'm assuming I should know this, but it's a Christian company, right? Like, or no, that's a hard question. Because what, what makes it a Christian? Yeah. Company? I mean, a lot of Christians work there. Um, it wasn't named Christian brothers because it was a Christian company. It was named Christian brothers. I, I believe before the, the owner was a Christian. Mm-hmm. Oh, he, really? He had previously, I did not know that. I, I didn't know it when I took the job. I've known the family. Talk about Mark, right? Yeah, Mark, Mark uh, Matthews. I've known the family for a very long time, and I didn't know that fact until recently. Mm-hmm. Gabe told this story. Gabe's the new owner, or Gabe's the current owner. He, mm-hmm. he purchased it from his dad, and his dad retired. Um, his dad worked for a company that was called Christian Brothers, I think, Painting. I might be butchering that. And he just loved the guy. He loved the culture of the company, and and. Mark told himself, if I ever own a company, I'm going to name it Christian Brothers, right? <laughs> That's how Gabe told it to me. I haven't heard it from Mark, but uh, it, it, I believe at the time, and I think Gabe told me that I, he wasn't even really a Christian or following Jesus at the time, right? I get asked that question a lot, though, especially in the hiring process, because it's called Christian Brothers. Well, we don't hire just Christians we, or brothers or brothers. Yeah. I joke every once in a while that we have sisters too. Yeah. Um, especially in the office. So yeah, no, we, um, when people ask me that, you know, from a, from an HR standpoint, I'm not gonna be like, yeah, we're a Christian company. Like you can't work here unless you're a Christian. Tell me about your faith. Like tell me about your values. Right. But I say, you know, these, these are the values and we have a value statement and we have values that we, we think are important. I think um, I tell people when I'm talking to them about hiring or, or I'm just talking to them about the company that we, we created these values. They created it before I was there, but I'm going to say we. Um, we created these values because we feel that if 
we are these values and if the people we work with are these values, then we'll enjoy what we do. We'll enjoy our work. We'll enjoy our life. And you're at work a third of your life. And that's if you're just working eight hours a day, which we're not. None of us are, right? A lot of us are working more than that. Um, you sleep for maybe six to eight hours a night, a day, and, and then you're with your family the rest of the time. But you better enjoy what you do at work. You better enjoy the people you work with. And we thought that these values were our best chance at loving the people we work with and, and, and being a good person to work with. Um, I had the conversation at my, at my past company, um, with a guy named Chris and he's actually running the company that uh, I used to work at Christian brothers. And we always were like, we want, we want to have like a, a really good impact with our company. Like what sort of impact can we have? And we had, we had some charitable things that the company did. We had something called giving cards where you plant a tree or you feed somebody with buying like a note card. And we always talked about growing that part of the company more. It was a very small part of the company. And we, we had some conversations about it and, and we kind of got to this point where I was like, you know, a lot of people don't enjoy what they do and they work in really bad environments and they work in companies with really bad culture and they are just disappointed in their job or disappointed in themselves. They don't feel like there's purpose in what they do or, or, or value in what they do. And that's just hopeless, right? Um, I'd worked with youth venture kids for 15 years. And one of the very first things we do is we tell them your life has a purpose, right? If you, if they believe their life has a purpose, there's a chance that God can move in their life. Um, I always, after that point, I, I just thought if I could, could help people that I work with find purpose in what they do, feel like they have value and their life has value while also still doing what they need to do, which is feed their family, feed themselves, clothe their children and put a house over their heads like that. There's, there's something fantastic about that. Now, the other piece of it is there's so much opportunity being around other people that aren't exactly like-minded as you. Like I've never, I grew up just with people who from, came from all different places, you know, and, and, uh, I, I've enjoyed, I don't think any of my best friends agree with me on everything, let alone anything sometimes. Right. <laughs> I just enjoy it. I, I enjoy different, different, um, brains and mindsets and, and, and backgrounds. And, um, I love the influence you get in people's lives when you're able to get thrown into that mush pot with them in, in, a, in work. Right. Um, so I think there's a strong calling for creating a workplace that has excellent culture. People love to be there, love to work there. They're, they're not only growing, but they're challenging their peers and helping their peers to grow. Um, and I've found a lot of purpose and value in that. And, and, and I think success in that. Um, and I think I have a long way to go to actually make a big impact in that way. Um, I felt like I had a start at my old company and I have like a much better, uh, springboard at the company I'm at, at, at Christian brothers to really have a splash and an impact doing that. Hmm. It seems, well, you said earlier that you feel like you still don't know your strengths or talents, but it seems like this is definitely an area maybe that there's something here, oh, yeah. Of, yeah. you know, you're more and more as your careers progress, lean more and more into the people side of things, the management and culture side of things, the, um, 
I guess like enabling, uh, I mean like personal and professional growth, right? Mm. Would you, are some, are those some of the ways that you would categorize it? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, um, yeah, I, it's, it's a definitely a very strong focus of me right now for sure, but it is new to have it as my primary focus. Mm -hmm. So, um, still uncharted territories for me personally. Um, I don't think I know, I know of anyone and I don't know if it's very common for people to go from being hardcore it DevOps and development (laughs) and even just like just system administration to being the HR guy. Yeah. And managing a sales team. You're the first I I know. Yeah. It's funny. It's weird. And I think that, uh, it just happened to work. Um, and I think I had enough of a focus on the people at my old company that I was able to focus on the people at my new company and Mm. there's still technical edge and there's still, um, an operational organizational challenge aspect of it, which I've always had to strengthen through my career. Um, and really, I think I have a weird personality of, I really just need a challenge. Like I need, I need that next challenge. I've never been accused of not being hungry. I think the one thing that people have challenged me in is, Hey Matt, could you cool it a little bit? Like, could you slow it down a little bit? I've always, I think that's been something people have tried to, you know, pull, throw the brakes on me a little bit. Um, it's, that's not a weakness of mine. So a challenge is what I needed. Yeah. Interesting. Yeah. yeah that's cool. Um, well, one more question. That's probably more of like a, like a full question after that, they'll probably be like quicker, just fire around, cool. you know, knock them out. But tell us about your wife, your family, yep. your kiddos, yep. marriage. Don't want to miss that part. I love that in your guys' outline, this this had the most real estate on the page. And I, it was I also like that. our second point that we just <laughs> are getting to. Uh, I had a feeling it would go that way. And be yeah. like, when am I going to come up? <laughs> the to. best for last. Okay. Yeah. Um, I, I met Lauren, my wife, in, in high school. And uh, we, we weren't dating in high school and we weren't best friends in high school. We had s- semi-different friends groups that sort of just overlapped with each other. Um, we ran into e- uh, each other again after high school, about two years after, I think, maybe one or two years after at Foothills College Group. And uh, I just kind of laser beamed onto her when, when I saw her and uh, just kind of approached her. And I, I had, I'd probably dated like one or two other people, never seriously. And... Um, I was pretty intentional about wanting to date her and wanting to court her. And, um, and we, we hit it off, you know, I think she would say that she got hooked when I got her in my really beat up old Buick LeSabre with a really heavy duty, awesome sound system. And I just (laughs) cranked the music and started singing at the top of my lungs. And she's like, this is it. That's funny. Yeah. So, um, we dated for three years and, uh, engaged for a year and a half and then got married married uh after college or during i had six months left and she had um maybe about the same yeah her parents actually pushed really hard for us to graduate before we got married i was gonna ask if you felt strongly about about that you know i always just had my own drive about college and i wasn't really um pressured in Mm -hmm. any way shape or form i paid for it myself and i went for myself and if i hadn't i would have quit eight years earlier um (laughs) yeah you had plenty of opportunity, it seemed like. <laughs> yeah, plenty of opportunities. The college tried to kick me out at least six <laughs> or seven times. Um, so I, th- we were we were pretty pretty pressured to you got to graduate first, and I was on my own timeline, and I knew I would graduate. I I I didn't feel like it was a gamble, so um, we did graduate soon after getting married. 
And I switched jobs soon after getting married as well. I think we waited about two years before we had kids and now I have four kids. Four kids. Yeah. Yeah. Um, oldest is six and the youngest is one just turned one. Are you guys done or we're done? Nice. We are medically done. (laughs) And then how long have you been married now? I've been married now for nine years. If I get that right. Nine years. I think there we go. Your, your wife will tell you afterwards. Yeah. Well, I mean, what do you feel like has been the most rewarding part of being a husband, being a father? Yeah. I'm also kind of curious too. I mean, did you feel like there was any sort of, uh, transition or growth that you had to go through kind of taking on these new identities and responsibilities? Yeah. Um, I feel that, uh, I, I haven't talked about it in a long time, but right after getting married, I remember telling some people like how I felt about it. And it was just this weird concept to me that I felt like I tried to describe it as the decentralization of self. Like self has always been in the middle of me, like right in the middle of me. You know, if I ever had to contemplate something and I was at the middle of it because, you know, we're all selfish and we're all, we're all thinking for ourselves. Suddenly that, that, shifted and it wasn't in me anymore and it was somewhere between my mm-hmm. wife and I and it was a really weird feeling for me um and it was it was uh really healthy and really really good to feel that way I would be concerned for anybody who didn't feel that way hmm. but uh yeah that decentralization of self and suddenly I had to make decisions that would impact us both mm-hmm. and uh and contemplate it with another person and Um, I was always a really, um, I was on my own from a young age. Uh, you know, I started cooking for myself when I was like seven or eight and (laughs) making eggs and doing my own laundry. And I was really independent. I just had to be. And, and, uh, I moved out when I was like 17 and, um, I always just sort of took care of myself in a way, you know? So to have another person that now I'm taking care of both and, and she's taking care of me, um, it was a beautiful, challenging thing. I think that was like what needed the most growth is to sort of just open up and, and honestly, in a way, be vulnerable, not in an emotional way, but just in a, like, we're in it together sort of way. Mm-hmm. Um, really, really rewarding too. Um, having someone who can challenge you, having someone who supports, kind of shores up your weakness with their strength and that you can encourage them and help them grow. Um, just the partnership of it is a wonderful feeling. I think that, um, just makes me who I am today. I don't think I would be successful in any way. You know, if I, if I didn't have a partner in all of it, Mm -hmm. someone who is willing to work as hard as I work, uh, and compliment me, uh, my wife and I, uh, decided, you know, we always were of the mind that, um, when we had kids and you know, she'd stay home and she'd take care of the kids. That's, that was, that was my wife's desire. And it was my desire for us to pay that much attention to our kids and to give them that much focus and to, mm-hmm. to, to just dedicate that, that time and attention to them at home. Um, but that had consequences that meant that I'd work, you know, and, uh, Lauren worked up to the point that she had our first baby LRA and, we didn't have like some grand conversation about how is this going to be possible? It was a decision that we made before we got married. And mm-hmm. when she was ready to stop working to be at home with Ellery, uh, you know, we, 
conveniently didn't pay attention to the finances because, and, and I, and I love finances. That's actually one of the interests I wrote down is like <laughs> something I'm like a guru at. Um, it didn't matter if it financially worked or not. We were going to make it happen. Hmm. Uh, I always had a lot of confidence in myself that I could sacrifice anything and, and, and everything mm-hmm. to make it. You know, I, I always was just able to survive with so little, right? I always kind of uh, spent a lot less than I made in, in that way. And uh, I had no no worry about myself, but Lauren was all in with it too. So um, we just we just made it work. So that was a big kind of dis- de- deciding uh decisive factor to, to how we are today and, and kind of the growth that we we've had. Um, I think the point is that it's very complimenting. My wife is very good at what she does. Mm. It allows me to be very good at what I do and very focused. Do you, do you think that you knew that kind of going into being married? Is that something that you realize more and more kind of discovered along the way. I don't think we had any idea. Like, <laughs> I think we're lucky it worked, you know, in a way, cause we, we just didn't think it through, but we always kind of, we knew what we wanted. We, we knew that Lauren des- desired to be home and to be a mom. And that was her calling. And were, unfortunate um, for a lot of people. Were the kiddos planned or just kind of happened? They were planned. Yeah. We, I don't know if the timing was exactly on, on par, but yeah, it was planned. Um, all four of them. Some people gotcha. are surprised by that. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, Corey was not planned, so it's true. I always like to point surprise. that out. Yeah. <laughs> Give a little background, Corey. Sure. <laughs> my, um, this is so fascinating. As I alluded to earlier, I mean, my parents uh, both had previous marriages and um, had a couple of divorces, and actually, the way that they met was through each one of their kids. Um, my my sister was babysitting my brother because they were both lived in like the same neighborhood really close. And, uh, basically it was like, you know, my mom, when she went to work, needed someone to babysit him. And, uh, and then they got introduced that way and then they got married a couple years later, but it was much later in life for them. Uh, my dad is 53 and my mom was 42. And so they didn't really think anything of it. And then I popped out. <laughs> so, so Corey, like, when great, he, we can still have more babies. When Corey was born, he was an uncle. Yeah, I was already an uncle when That's I was born. Amazing. How yeah. old was your youngest, or yeah, your youngest sibling? When I was not born? youngest, but like the the next closest one to you. Yeah. Yeah, he was seventeen when I was born. Yeah. Seventeen, twenty, and twenty-three. I think that's so wild. <laughs> yeah, that is crazy. Oh, um, okay. Well, I just wanted to. Yeah. I love pointing that out every time I can. I do it because yeah. he turns red, and it's so funny. So I always, someone. if my mom's listening to this, she'll be very disappointed. I say this, but I always say that I was an accident. I'm a fourth kid, <laughs> and all my brothers and sisters, fifteen months apart, fifteen months apart, fifteen months apart, and then three mo- three years <laughs> apart. Uh, I'm like, there's no way I was intentional. <laughs> and then they got divorced. So I'm like, great, cause the divorce. Wow. I was the problem, you know, the <laughs> kid that they didn't want. That was cool. That's what was going on in your mind yeah. when you were. I think you're on something kid. there. Yeah, yeah, I love bringing it up, and they do not enjoy it. That's, That's funny. funny. You want to move on? Any more questions about marriage? No, let's go. Um, okay. Well, we will wrap up quickly. Um, some fire round questions. So, um, looking at the future, what are some long-term goals that you have? Yeah, um, I think that I want to grow the company I'm at to to its potential you know if you're a good employer and people you're doing good with um with creating an environment that really 
you know, what my goals are, which is create this wonderful environment that people have a purpose and they find value in what they do. It's kind of is a bummer that more people can't work there, you know? So I, I have always had a goal to, if I'm doing well at that, to grow it to its potential, it, you know, a good so, threshold. So how do you see yourself as part of the growth, like being in HR and yeah. like, I feel like as a salesperson, that's your task. And, yeah. but for someone, yeah, I'm just curious your mindset so i mean my role is so diverse i mean i there's there's three what gabe calls executives at the company there's gabe there's micah and there's i so um i i focused quite a bit on the growth of the company through the financials and through um so my title is director of operations but i'm i'm over the financial aspects of the company uh coordination operational inside the office part of the company sales um compliance uh we've got reception we've got data entry and then there's kind of a management team that that um, spans the external divisions as well. Um, so I'm just really intimately involved with the growth of the company and mm-hmm. and its success and and uh, sometimes success means no growth, right? But but sometimes it really does mean growth. And I would think that that growth would be an, a natural outcome of of being successful in what we're doing, right? Um, also, you know, with taxes going up and, you know, things like that growth, it just is necessary, you know? Yeah. yeah. I, I could imagine. Yeah. Um, what's something that you've changed your mind about? Uh, it could be recently, it could be a long yeah. time ago, but, um, I, uh, recently read a book called black swan and it was about just the folly of prediction. And it really kind of hit me hard because I, I spent a lot of time looking at data and, and doing models and projections and cash flow forecasting. And, um, when you, I was challenged with that book because it was like humans naturally create narratives about history and about past, even recent memory. And it completely muddies your perception and it's just riddled with fallacies. And if you try to predict, you will be wrong. Um, I always love to try to predict and, and, and broadcast like what would happen and forecast financials and things like that. Um, it challenged me to not do that, to not try because I will never be wrong. And since then I've still done it and I've still tried to broad forecast and stuff and I've been wrong, you know, and, but having that book in my brain, it, it, it kind of goes, Oh, okay. It makes sense um, that you're wrong. Cause you know, it's just hard to predict and it's, sometimes just inevitably impossible, you know? Mm. So I've tried to stop doing that. Um, that's been something I've been really challenged with lately and, you know, changing my mind on that stuff. I love to, I love to try to predict, you know, yeah. probably be more of like a planner type and operationally minded to, you want to figure everything out and be confident in what you're doing. Right. And that can be challenging. Very analytical. Innately with analytical, you just, you want to try to figure it out. Yeah. Yeah. Um, what are some issues that you see young men kind of struggling with right now? Yeah, I think we touched on this earlier. I think that um, one, I'm not super familiar with with what's going on with young men, but I imagine that when you uh, you look at the success of guys who are older and you look at how they got there and you see a path that you couldn't possibly take, that that's got to be really challenging. Um, figuring out that next step that's an unknown, I think is... Uh, I think it's really hard for young guys and uh, they are, I think in a dilemma of needing to blaze a brand new path and find a brand new path to the same outcome and the same result that they, they want and they see. Um, and that might mean the guy you want to be like went to college 
and to get to where he's at and you just can't it's just not financially feasible or 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 uh or financially feasible i don't know <laughs> that's a big enough problem right <laughs> um so you have to find a different way and it's unknown and i think i think that i think that's something um i wrote some 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 notes about this that i think are are interesting when we talk about humility um it's really easy to think oh humility is like maybe a lack of arrogance it's not being arrogant but humility is also having massive self-confidence problems hmm. a person that's really has a, a struggle with self-confidence they think about themselves just as much as an arrogant person they're just opposite, super yeah. focused on themselves and that is a lack of humility um i think that that is a struggle of young guys especially when they uh they see they see this unknown future and unknown you know hmm. path to get there I think they're struggling with that humility and to just not to focus on themselves, but just focus on the next step, like focus on the, on the thing in front of you. Hmm. That's interesting. I've, I've actually heard Mark talk about that specifically about how humility is. You can even be, uh, you like I said, you can have a lack of humility, but in the opposite way of what you think and that you are insecure and how God wants you to be secure and secure and knowing who you are in him. You guys um, ever watch lost? Yes. Watched, lost. <laughs> I'm rewatching it for probably the Are third you? time. Oh yeah. my gosh, Ben I've Linus. I've watched it twice. I don't know. Ben Should Linus. We, spoilers, spoilers. Nah. Right the They've been warned, so go for it. Season five. He he sees Jacob for the first time. He looks at Jacob and he's just like, "All these years, you wouldn't talk to me. I followed your every order." Blah blah blah. And he goes, "What about me?" And Jacob just looks at him and he goes, "What about you, Ben?" Oh yeah. And then that. he gets stabbed in the heart and killed. But it's a great line. What about you? Yeah. Why is it all about you? And it just hurt, it just hit me. It was like, man, you're over there just sobbing on the couch. <laughs> I am <I'm> like, <laughs> on Wednesday night, and man. <laughs> yeah. That's what funny. about you? That's funny. <laughs> yeah. um, well, if you can go back and have a heart to heart with 18 year old Matt, yeah, just graduating, uh, you're starting a youth venture, but I'm just trying to kind of set you up in that scenario. But you know, what would you tell him? Not trying to change your future, but you know, what's something that you wish you would have known or something you could go back and tell yourself. It'd be nice to know the outcome of some things that, you know, I was scared to do that, that I was very tentative in doing. Um, I think that it would be nice to know that, Hey Matt, you're never going to, um, regret caring for people. You know, sometimes we, we want that wall to be up and we, we, uh, we worry about about the repercussions of, of of caring for people or maybe being vulnerable with people and i think just knowing like hey you're never going to regret it hmm. care for people openly be vulnerable with people i know as future matt that you will never once regret that so do it more and you'll have even more success maybe and and start earlier don't start when you're 30 you know don't hmm. wait that long uh I think that uh, the other thing is just that when I was 18, I, I put my friends through a lot of hardships because of all the stuff I was dealing with. And I think that it, it burned some friends. And I think there's friendships that I would still have if I cared, or maybe I was just more open with the friends I had about, mm -hmm. man, my life's really been hard. And like uh, the, the insecurities you have from that, I think I've lost uh, one or two friendships that I, I didn't have to. There was no reason they were wonderful friends right and you're just going through stuff and you just your you, your fury just burns you know and uh i think if i was more open about that back then i i could have i could have retained some great friendships even longer mm -hmm. 
Um, when all is said and done, what do you, future Matt, want to be uh, remembered for? <laughs> I'll channel future Matt. What do I want to be known for? Um, uh, I think I want to be known for being a good uh, husband and being a good uh, father and uh, a son and a, and a brother and a friend. I, you know, uh, sometimes I think that the most impactful things we can do in our life are so understated. And so, uh, they seem so simple and insignificant, but, uh, I think I said earlier, my dad didn't know his father and his dad was adopted and my father's in my life. And it, I can't underst- overstate how difficult mm-hmm. and how challenging it was for my dad to stay an involved and caring father through everything that he was going through and all the things I went through. Um, if I'm successfully a father, then it'll be the first time in many generations where there's a son, a father, and a grandfather that all have a healthy relationship with each other. Um, speaking of black swans, you know, black swans is this massive event that once it happens, nothing that came before it and really nothing that comes after it can add up to that one thing. I think that would be my one thing that if I could be a good father, nothing else in my life could possibly add up to be more significant than just being a good father. If I can raise a son to be a good father, then, um, then I think my life will have purpose. But the priority and the, the order of that list is important to note that I have to be a good husband first. I cannot be really, I can't be as good of a father as I can be if I'm not a good husband. And, um, it's important that my wife, my kids have a mother that have a loving husband and, and that we're in unison with that too. So I just think that's all I really would want to be remembered for, you know? Um, when it's all said and done, I think people will think things from afar and I will leave a wasteland behind me of California and <laughs> COVID-19 just killing people off. And, <laughs> you know, what, what will Matt Miller and San Diego really have on that? You know? Yeah, that's very true. You, you've mentioned a couple books, uh, you know, a couple authors as well that you've liked. Black Swan, uh, Nassim Taleb. Uh, Patrick Lencioni. What are some other favorite books or yeah. resources you could point people to? The very first book that I got recommended to read when I was seriously engaging with business was uh, Love is the Killer App. I can't remember the author. Can you remind me of the author? Tim Sanders. Tim Sanders, yeah. Yep. A business book? It's a business book. <laughs> it is. Um, and it's a slightly older business book. It's a guy who was an executive at Yahoo. He was, uh, he was in technology a little bit, but he just says um don't be a mad dog be a love cat uh he talks about gaining and acquiring knowledge and how to read books and seek out good books and uh share that those books Hmm. and give a good synopsis of what that book is about i'm i'm literally channeling love cat at the moment you know um caring for people um and making connections and helping people connect and it was really good and it was pivotal for me i think i had a personality that easily um fell into the trap of being a mad dog so that book was very corrective to me and helped me uh, start this kind of path that I'm on now, you know, being a love cat. So that's a great <laughs> book. Um, I love to read. I read quite a lot. And so some recent authors, I, I put Malcolm Gladwell in Outliers and I've read I all that. of his books. Nice. Gosh, I love him. It's just a good read. Psychology, right? And social behavioral. Um, uh, Michael Lewis, I love reading his books. Um, Big Short and Flash Boys and currently reading The Undoing Project, which is a really fun one. Highly recommend people read fantasy and sci-fi too. 
I've read quite a bit of that. Um, I read zero of that. Oh, yeah. (laughs) Got to get your imagination flaring. Yeah. That's fun. That's good. I I like that. Um, That's an interesting list. I mean, yeah, I I appreciate it because it's not your typical, um, I don't know, list of the same kind of three or four spiritual, uh, I don't know how to describe them, you know, but yeah. I like that they're different. That's all I was going to say. Um, and then who do you look up to personally? Yeah. Um, my grandpa passed away a year or two ago. I always really looked up to him. He's one of the hardest working people um, I ever met. And I remember I wanted to work hard because I knew he respected working hard a lot. And uh, he was just a good steward over his his things, you know. Um, always look up to my father. Um, just the fact that he is my father and he's still my father and he's a good father. And um, if I can, if I can be that good of a father, then I've done something. I've done the most important thing I can do in my life. Um, my bosses, you know, um, Gabe and, and, uh, his vision for my company and his direction and his, you know, cultivating strengths in me that maybe I didn't know I had. And, um, Micah, who's my other boss, um, you know, I try to work at places where I, respect the people highly and I want to be like those people and that they are, uh, their examples and they're, they're challenging me to be a better person and a person I want to be. Right. Um, those are some of my, you know, I have a lot of great women in my life too. Stepmom and my mom and, uh, Nancy Matthews. And yeah, I should probably stop because someone's going to be like, you forgot my name. <laughs> you didn't say it. So yeah, yeah, it's going to happen. I'm sure. Um, Last question. If you could say one thing to the next generation of Christian men, what would it be? Wait, what? If you could say, (laughs) was (laughs) I not clear? (laughs) If you could say one thing to the next generation of Christian men, what would it be? Yeah. You just witnessed my brain going off in a totally different direction. Mm. Yeah. (laughs) It just hopscotched on me. Um, Yeah. um, I need to get back to... uh, to the thing it's hard to get my brain back in a uh, gear when it, it it pops out right i have the same problem yeah um it's probably harping on stuff but uh i think i would tell yeah. them to prepare mm-hmm. now um don't do the bare minimum uh don't just meet the need in front of you like prepare for something greater and have some vision in your life about where you want to go i love that you guys asked the question of where do you want to be in five and ten years and Mm -hmm. things like that because uh you don't have some great goal out there you may never get it but if you don't have a goal you're not preparing for it you know so i think i would just tell people to prepare now work hard learn fast um find a path and blaze it and uh, once you're, you've prepared yourself, find the girl. Because I think, I think uh, our culture has a problem with fatherlessness. And if, if we're all good fathers, mm. we should all have a goal of being really good That's fathers. Cool. And you're going to need a girl. Yeah. So <laughs> I love that. Work that. hard, learn fast, and find uh, new paths. Yeah. Kind of flows. Yeah. That's good. Yeah. Well, Matt, thank you so much for joining us. Yeah, it was uh, fun. Honestly, I mean, tons of good stuff. Nuggets of wisdom in there everywhere appreciate you taking your time out of your day and spending it with us. Yeah, I really appreciate it. Thanks for having me. Thanks for asking. Um, where can people learn more about you, get, get in contact with you, bug you? Yeah. yeah. I mean, LinkedIn, it's a great place to find me. Um, my LinkedIn's my name. So Matthew Earl Miller. 
Yeah, E R L E is my middle name. Matthew Interesting. Earl Miller. Is there a story behind that, or? Yeah, I'm named. My dad's middle name is Earl, and my grandma was a reader. He loved reading, and Earl Stanley Gardner was her favorite author. Wow. So like a mystery writer. That's cool. Interesting. And uh, so we're named after an author. Awesome. Yeah. Well, Matt, thanks again. Uh, listeners, if you have any questions for Matt, or if you want to reach out to him, if you want to thank him, even for just spending some time, reach out to him on LinkedIn, send him a message. Um, and otherwise, we will see you in the next one. 